536 was the year, by all indications. I'm referring to the fire judgment event warned about in 2nd Kifa 3-7, which swept over targeted locations of our known realm, leaving a host of melted cities in its wake. You will need to recall my 7,000-year timeline deception thesis, wherein I showed scriptural evidence as to why Yahushua HaMashiach was resurrected 5,500 years after Adam's initial placement into Eden, pitting us in the whereabouts of 30 AD. That same breadcrumb trail informed me that the Millennial Kingdom was physically manifested upon the Earth in the year 6,000. Do the math. We're looking at the 6th century for its advent, sometime after 500-ish AD. I stress ish because I have yet to commit to an actual date until now. Well, 536 is that mile marker. The scientists and the archaeologists as well as the medieval historians won't even look twice at my proposal, but can you blame them? But then on the flip of that coin, the normies have all been coming to the same conclusion as of late, that 536 was the worst year in human history, which was then followed by one of the worst periods to be alive. Why won't the theologians get into the ring as well? To sum up what is being discussed by the official storytellers, 536 is the year when the sun went dark, leaving behind no midday shadows. A mysterious fog shrouded the earth. Rain buckets, the color of blood, poured from the heavens. Summer turned to winter. Crops failed. Two years without harvest incited a worldwide drought followed by famine, plague, and then death. An untold number of victims, probably in the millions, were buried in mass unmarked graves. Meanwhile, war ravaged the Roman Empire. Cities were wiped out. Civilization crumbled. Began were the Dark Ages. The entire episode sounds nothing short of biblical. There's been a number of you that have been asking me to talk about this very important year. Though where credit is due, the individual who ultimately brought 536 to my attention, and in fact the attention of everyone, was Michael McCormick, a medieval historian at Harvard University. McCormick was capable of tracking down very few records which spoke of the incident. Plant a Buzz Aldrin moon flag on that one. Some of you might be thinking a worldwide apocalyptic event entailing the collapse of civilization would incite a plethora of records. But then, need I remind you that the news as recorded for us in the Jesuit history books is only interested in giving us their version of events. The records were scrubbed. To my knowledge, McCormick has never suggested that to be the case, but he needn't have to. The accounts are so scarce that you might as well get it out of the way and nod your head in disapproval now. Though we are expected to believe that nobody with a pen and pad of paper in the eastern leg of the Roman Empire, or the west for that matter, anticipating the arrival of Mashiach's kingdom, no less, looked out their window and thought the turn of weather was worth scribbling down. Speaking of which, I might as well get the preeminent historical nod to 536 out of the way. It comes to us courtesy of a certain Cassiodorus, or Magnus Aurelius Cassiodorus Senator, if you prefer. 
I am once again sourcing the storytellers over at Wiki and told that he lived between 485 and 585 and that Senator was a surname, not his rank. His credits, however, include, quote, Christian, Roman statesman, renowned scholar of antiquity, and writer serving in the administration of Theodoric the Great, king of the Ostrogoths, all of which tips us off to the likelihood that he was an agent of Constantinople. Already I'm distracted by this Theodoric the Great fellow, whom Cassiodorus is said to have served under. I decided to look into his name via wiki again, and came to learn that the Goth king was the ruler of the kingdom of Italia between 493 and 526. Of further curiosity is the term Rex, which only Theodoric used for himself. His own subjects called him Augustus, indicating an emperor was on the loose. Though perhaps the far more important footnote is that he was a patrician of the Eastern Empire, having received the Western Imperial Regalia from Constantinople in 497, telling us that he was a client king and emperor. Perhaps the so-called Eastern and Western legs of the Roman Empire was not so divided as we are told. Theodoric was succeeded by a man named Athelric, who died prematurely in 534. We are then told that Amala Suwinta, his mother, ruled in his stead, though she was deposed and killed after six months of sole rule, also in 534. There is another successor, a Theodahad, whom was mysteriously taken out two years later, in 536. Enough of that hound hunt. Getting back to the reason why you're here, Senator Cassiodorus. I was told his documentation of 536 could be found in a letter, which is great and all, except that I was then directed to an entire anthology of them. You're welcome for scouring a stack of letters to locate the right one. Think of all that you can do with that extra time. Well, here it is. Senator Praetorian Prefect to his deputy Ambrosius. Since the world is not governed by chance, but by a divine ruler who does not change his purposes at random, men are alarmed, and naturally alarmed, at the extraordinary signs in the heavens, and ask with anxious hearts what events these may portend. The sun, first of stars, seems to have lost his wonted light and appears of a bluish color. We marvel to see no shadows of our bodies at noon, to feel the mighty vigor of his heat wasted into feebleness, and the phenomena which accompany a transitory eclipse prolonged through a whole year. The moon too, even when her orb is full, is empty of her natural splendor. Strange has been the course of the year thus far. We have had a winter without storms, a spring without mildness, and a summer without heat. Whence can we look for harvest, since the months which should have been maturing the corn have been chilled by Boreas? How can the blade open if rain, the mother of all fertility, is denied to it? These two influences, prolonged frost and unseasonable drought, must be adverse to all things that grow. The seasons seem to be all jumbled up together, and the fruits, which were wont to be formed by gentle showers, 
cannot be looked for from the parched earth. But as last year was one that boasted of an exceptionally abundant harvest, you are to collect all of its fruits that you can and store them up for the coming months of scarcity, for which it is well able to provide, and that you may not be too much distressed by the signs in the heavens of which I have spoken. Return to the consideration of nature, and apprehend the reason of that which makes the vulgar great with wonder. The middle air is thickened by the rigor of snow and rarefied by the beams of the sun. This is the great inane, roaming between the heavens and the earth. When it happens to be pure and lighted up by the rays of the sun, it opens out its true aspect. But when alien elements are blended with it, it is stretched like a hide across the sky and suffers neither the true colors of the heavenly bodies to appear, nor their proper warmth to penetrate. This often happens in cloudy weather for a time. It is only its extraordinary prolongation which has produced these disastrous effects, causing the reaper to fear a new frost and harvest, making the apples to harden when they should grow ripe, souring the old age of the grape cluster. All this, however, though it would be wrong to construe it as an omen of divine wrath, cannot but have an injurious effect on the fruits of the earth. Let it be your care to see that the scarcity of this one year does not bring ruin on us all. Even thus was it ordained by the first occupants of our present dignity, that the preceding plenty should avail to mitigate the present penury. Letters of Cassiodorus, Book 12, Letter 25. Let's see if I got this right. According to the senator's letter, the sun rays were weak, appearing a bluish color. At noon, no shadows from people were visible on the ground. The heat from the sun was feeble. The moon, even when full, was empty of splendor. Following that, a winter without storms, a spring without mildness, and a summer without heat. Essentially, the seasons were jumbled together, all of which included prolonged frost and unseasonable drought. The sky was furthermore blended with alien elements, stretched like a hide across the sky, which prevented the sun and the moon from being seen, along with the sun's warmth. Not forgetting the part where harvest produced hardened apples and sour grapes. Did I miss anything? I'll leave you to fill in the checklist. Why do I get the feeling that the senator penned his letter for the exclusive purpose of fact-checking those who think the signs in the heavens had anything to do with divine judgment. He begins and ends with the same conclusion, stating that anyone who is going about claiming the state of the world as a result of divine wrath have construed reality. Thanks for steering us clear of the fake news then. No wonder why his letter survived. He comes across like a spokesman for the ministry of truth. The ninth plague of Mitzrayim was a darkness that lasted for three days rather than 18 months. I'm sure he'd starve off any temptation to call that one a divine judgment as well, should he have lived through it. I'm also willing to bet he was going up against a current of apocalypse writers, all insinuating the same thing, that the day of the Lord was closing in upon them. Another source derives from the Byzantine historian Procopius, who is said to have been born in Caesarea between 490 and 507. By the way, 
I haven't the faintest clue if this is a portrait of Procopius, though the internet seems to think so. Beginning in 533 or 534, his bio has him taking part in an expedition against the Vandals in Africa, remaining there until 536, when he made the trek to Sicily. From Italia, he remained on the Gothic campaign until 540, after which he apparently returned to Constantinople, seeing as how he described the Great Plague of 542 from the capital. Well, concerning 536, here is his quote. For the sun gave forth its light without brightness, like the moon, during this whole year, and it seemed exceedingly like the sun in eclipse. For the beams it shed were not clear, nor such as it is accustomed to shed. And from the time when this thing happened, men were free neither from war nor pestilence, nor any other thing leading to death. And it was the time when Justinian was in the tenth year of his reign. The tenth year of Justinian's reign leads us right back to 536 and 537, in case you were wondering. I will probably have more to say on the Emperor of Constantinople when I finally get around to the Plague of Justinian, which began in 541 and lasted until 549, an obvious result of the year without the sun. In the meanwhile, Procopius backs up the letter of Cassiodorus. For the entirety of a year, the sun is described as being eclipsed. Adding to that, Procopius claims men were neither free from war nor pestilence nor anything else leading to death, while the sun was notably absent. You'd think an endless night in winter would be a bad omen for war, but then I get the feeling that it was indeed a divine appointment, whatever these guys will tell you. Well, that's all, folks. You've just been offered the only two detailed records I could find regarding the 536 event, and they both derive from Italia. There may be others out there open for public scrutiny, and which I shall certainly offer, supposing they land in my lap, but that is pretty much all I have been given to work with. From what I've gathered, Michael McCormick did not fare much better. The normies would have dismissed his bathroom reading materials of local Italian events, or perhaps altogether fiction, I'm sure, had it not been for McCormick's impending investigation. The historical paperwork was thin, but apparently enough to tip McCormick off to an international cover-up. Again, not his words, but it is what it is. Because this goes way beyond the sunny beaches of Italia. He turned to the trees. Trees do talk, you know, and nobody thought to silence them. Every year, trees put on a new layer of growth within the bark. These layers show up as rings and serve as a health report. There's actually a science to what I just described. It's known as dendrochronology. As it turns out, samples were collected all over the known realm, from Sweden to Siberia and China, all the way to Chile in South America and California on the Pacific. And guess what? They agree. 536 AD was the worst year in his story. For example, tree ring analysis was done by Mike Bailey, a leading dendrochronologist at Queen's University of Belfast. His conclusion was that there was abnormally low growth in Irish oaks in the 536 growing season. These particular tree rings derive from an oak of Northern Ireland. The arrow highlights 532 because the rings for 536 are too narrow to point to. 
The next tree ring sequence derives from a Siberian pine in Mongolia, covering the years 534 through 539. The larger cells correspond with 536 and testify to frost damage after a dramatic drop in temperature, a temperature drop which plunged the greater realm into an ice age. The sudden and unexpected arrival of a worldwide ice age can best be explained by the dry fog which blocked out the sun. Looks like the New York Times was attempting to tackle that question decades ago as the article is dated to July 25th, 1983. Their reasoning is that it was the result of a volcano, though many others have speculated that the culprit was a comet. If I'm not mistaken, the initial suspect was an Icelandic volcano, though the volcano, I believe it's pronounced Rabuol in Papua New Guinea, and Tierra Blanca Joven in El Salvador have also been fingered. The English archaeologist David Keyes, who shows up a lot in this discussion, has been so adamant that Krakatoa was the culprit, based upon information he found in the Javanese Book of Kings, that he switched the date of its eruption in 416, according to the Gregorian, which officially corresponds to the 338th year of the Shaka calendar, to 535 to make his case. Fact of the matter is, the Papua New Guinea eruption is now thought to have occurred in the 7th century, and much like Krakatoa, the El Salvador eruption has been dated to the early 5th century, according to ice core samples. What we have here is another case where everyone is slapping for a light switch in the dark, confused as hell. The only thing that seems certain in all of this is the ice core analysis from Greenland and Antarctica, which, in a 2015 study dated sulfate deposits and a cryptotephra layer to the exact year 536. Cryptotephra is kind of a new scientific field of study. It refers to non-visible volcanic ash, which can be detected in archaeological sediments. Well, in another monumental study, geochemical analysis of cryptotephras distinguishes at least three synchronous eruptive events in North America dating to, you guessed it, 536. One of these eruptions correlates with the Mono Inyo craters in Northeast California. The other two eruptions most likely originated from the Aleutian Islands in Alaska and the volcanic province in the Pacific Northwest. Then again, David Keyes is on to something. The centuries may very well be off. Way off. In a backwards, forwards, and inverted order. And though, again, he won't outright say it, and probably wouldn't even dream to imagine the alternative, the dates given to us may very likely be the clever reworking of Jesuits and Benedictine monks. I mean, the Dark Ages, right? If you thought the news was fake now, then imagine what history is like. It's why I've been soft on these calendar dates from the very beginning. Why have I become so firm on 536 then? Because trees do talk. Nobody knows if there was one volcano or ten volcanoes, and which ones popped the cork when. But if you ask me, the horse blinders are the nagging problem. 536 may have been the worst year in his story, though it hardly competes with Noah's Flood. It was also likely way worse than what these researchers will admit into their framework. 
I mean, no wonder why it had to be scrubbed. I will remind you again of the melted cities across our realm. To quote Kifa, I'm of the opinion that the heavens and the earth were stored up for fire, being unleashed on the day of judgment to the destruction of the unrighteous. The Dark Ages, wait, scratch that. The Millennial Kingdom of Yahushua HaMashiach followed in its wake.